0: where he oversaw Native American programs throughout the federal government. He then served as an assistant secretary of the Department of Interior, managing Senate Congressional Affairs, and then after leaving government office and service, he represented the pet and timber industries in Washington, D.C., and then he spent the last 18 years of his D.C.-based career in the private sector as a senior vice president for international affairs at Occidental Petroleum, traveling the world, interacting with world leaders, solving complex political and policy challenges for the company. And while at Occidental, he was asked by President Ronald Reagan to serve as chairman of the President's Commission on Indian Reservation Economies, a task that he proved to be uniquely qualified for. Now, While my Uncle Bob was never officially in a position as an ambassador, you can see from that description how much of his life and career was performing ambassador-like responsibilities, representing someone far more powerful than him, representing something far broader than his simple scope, And being a a voice and a mouthpiece for the sake of those who he represented. Well, the last time that I was here with you, we took some time to look through Ephesians chapter 4, if memory serves. And today, we're going to look here in 2 Corinthians 5. Again, this morning, like last time, is about... The church understanding our role, the church understanding what it is that God has called us to be and to do. And so if you would, we're going to begin with verse 11, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. And I don't know exactly what the tradition here is, but uh, I've begun to do something that's meaningful to me And if you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? If you are not physically able, I certainly understand that. And we would ask you just to stand with us in your hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls or compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. Now, in verse 20, there's a key phrase there that I I want to really kind of think through a little bit this morning. Do you see it there? Ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. So the question is, what is an ambassador? Now, if you look in dictionaries or if you think about synonyms for this word ambassador, we might see things like a representative, an emissary, a mouthpiece, a messenger. A diplomat, right? All of those things kind of come to mind when you think about the role of an ambassador. If we look at the original language and the word that's used there, we look in the theological dictionary of the New Testament, it would say then that in line with the special sense of this word, one who is sent, it's the idea of to be or to act as one who is sent, to bring a message or to negotiate. Okay, So we're getting the sense of what Paul is meaning here when he says that we are ambassadors for Christ. That we are representing Christ. That we are a mouthpiece for Christ. Now, I understand and we'll, we'll think about this in a moment. This is largely testimonial on Paul's part. What Paul is trying to do here in this moment and to some extent with the book of 2 Corinthians is to clarify for the Corinthians because there have been some questions about his apostleship. There have been some questions about his right to say the things that he said, to speak about the things and to do the things that he's doing and so he's clarifying for these believers his position and so so much of this description in a specific sense is about Paul and his companions but I don't think that we can miss the broader implications of it can we I don't think that Paul is just describing these things as something that's true of him but by extension he is saying this is really true for all of us all of us have been called into this role all of us have been set apart to be representatives for Christ when we are transformed by Christ, by the power of the gospel, when we are adopted into the family, when we are made joint heirs with Jesus, we have a calling then to be ambassadors and that calling is to be representatives of and mouthpiece for in some sense as if Christ himself were speaking to this lost and dying world we speak on behalf of Jesus now if as you hear me say that you think to yourself wow uh, that's a lot right That should be the response that you have. There should be a sense in which we realize the weight of this part of our calling. The weight of this part of our identity as followers of Jesus. Because it's not just an ambassador for anybody. It's not just an ambassador of some kind. It is an ambassador of a very particular type and for a very particular person. We are ambassadors for Christ. It is the idea, and again, Kittle brings this out, it's the idea that we are in Christ's stead. That's the sense that we have for, for Christ here. That it is if Jesus himself is making the declaration When we speak on his behalf as believers. That's an awesome thing, right? I'm so glad that when he gave his great commission, he said, and I will be with you always till the end of the earth, right? Because otherwise, without his presence with us, without the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, I I don't want this job, right? Way too much for me. Way too much for you, way too much for any mere human to carry. But yet, empowered by the Spirit of God, we have been called into this beautiful task. Now, one of the things that I want to be clear about, as was true as Paul is writing these words inspired by the Holy Spirit to the church at Corinth, which was a train wreck of a place, and at times a train wreck of a church, quite frankly. We are doing this in the midst of a broken world. We are doing this in the midst of suffering. So much of what we've sung this morning has been to remind us of Christ's presence with us, his power through us, and this calling that we have in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of at times persecution, in the midst of wrestling through our own failures and weaknesses. And so this is not... We're called to speak on Christ's behalf in the perfect ideal setting, but no, we're called to do this in the midst of a fallen world, and it makes it even more important that we do it because we are in a fallen world. One of our core identities as Christ followers is that we are eyewitnesses it's i think that's a i think that's a very practical part of this ambassadorship that we have been called to we represent the kingdom of christ and are messengers of the hope that he brings we've seen firsthand the grace and the glory of the gospel in the scriptures and in our lives that's the beautiful part of our testimony right We have the written word that gives testimony to this truth. And then we have the living transformation that's happening in the midst of us that's a testimony to this truth. And then we have it played out in gospel community as we see it working itself out of brothers' and sisters' lives and in our own lives as we interact. We know the hope that God has fulfilled and is fulfilling through us. It's a beautiful picture of what he has called us to, that Christ is at work in us. So we believe that we have something worth telling others. Do you believe that this morning? Do you say yes? Well, well, don't, I mean, only say yes if you believe that that's true, but right? We do. We've got a message worth talking about. How many grandparents in the room? Do you feel like you personally have a message worth talking about, whatever your grandkids name is? Are you a picture shower, right? Are you, hey, let me tell you about my grandkids, right? So we've just become step-grandparents to a five-year-old. Kind of crazy, I don't know what to do with that. We kind of became instant grandparents. Uh, I think I'm gonna be a mess, because it's a girl. And all we do in our family is boys we got so much testosterone in our family, we can't even keep track. And now all of a sudden, we have this beautiful little five-year-old redhead, wonderful little girl. And I think I'm going to be a mess. I really do. And I I think I'm going to end up talking a lot about her. I think that's probably going to happen. We have a message as believers. Can you believe it? Even greater than our grandchildren. To declare to the world. Each local church, I believe, see if this description makes sense to you. Each local church is a family of worshipers living as disciples on mission to give a witness to what Christ has done. What do you think? Does that sound like a pretty good description of who we are, who we're supposed to be? A family of worshipers living as disciples on mission To give a witness to what Christ has done. Well, maybe the question would be real quickly, what what have we witnessed? We've witnessed that God's word is true. We've witnessed who Christ is and what he has done. We've seen that here and we've seen it here. And we've seen it here in gospel community. We've witnessed that the gospel brings transformation. How many of you before you came to Jesus were a total train wreck? Anybody want to give testimony with me? Come on now, seriously, nobody, you guys were all perfect and you just came to Jesus because it was convenient, because you wanted to be able to dress up on Sundays? No, right? We know what we were, and we give testimony to how Christ has transformed us inside and out, our very desires and longings. Now, does that mean we're perfect now? No. Does that mean we don't mess up? No. But we have a testimony to something. We've witnessed something. And what should we witness to? Or what should a witness do? If that's what we're witnessing to, then what should we do? We should live like we believe this truth. An ambassador who doesn't believe in who he ambassadors for will not be a very good ambassador. Would you agree with that? If I don't believe in the one that I'm representing, if I don't believe in the message that I'm saying, maybe I'm just a political hack. And Jesus doesn't need us to be political hacks who just wear the label because it's convenient or we can get something out of it. Jesus needs us to be those who believe in who he is, who believe in his kingdom, who are willing to sacrifice all for the message that we have to deliver. So we live like we believe this truth, and we speak of what we have seen. That's the nature of an eyewitness, you know. An eyewitness is different than an expert witness, you know what I mean? I'm not a lawyer or anything, but I watch a lot of lawyers on TV, and I've slept in a Holiday Inn Express, so I can give you some expert opinion here. An expert witness is different than an eyewitness. Why? Because an expert witness climbs on the stand and they have an expertise maybe in DNA or in blood splatter or in footprints or something like that, Uh, right? They're, They're disimpassioned about the case itself. They just come on the stand to say, I've looked at the evidence that's pertinent. This is what I believe that the evidence says. And that's it. They're done. That's different than an eyewitness. Because an eyewitness comes on the stand and they're impassioned about, they're a part of what's happened, right? And so an eyewitness says, for instance, I looked out the window and I saw that guy punch that guy in the nose, knock him down and tell him if he gets up he's going to punch him again. That's what I saw, that's what I heard, right? do not have to be an, an expert on punching Don't have to be an expert on how the blood splattered from his nose when he got punched in the nose. Don't have to be an expert in the footprints that led to and away from the encounter. Just have to say, this is what I saw, this is what I've heard. Christ has called his people to be eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of the truth of what God's word says and eyewitnesses of the transformation that has taken place in our own lives and in the lives of those around us so this part of the message is clear we're called to share the hope of Christ with all who will listen so let's dig a little bit deeper particularly in this text and see if we can pull out some important truths Paul's talking about again he and his companions but clearly this has a broader application that would include us And so I want to look at it from that perspective. First point I want you to see is that all that we have to offer the world is from God. All that we have to offer the world is from God. We make a drastic mistake when we as the church think that we can compete with what the world offers to itself and just make a fancier, better version of it. And if we could just spice it up a little... The world would just be so impressed with us. We offer only what is from God if we truly want to offer something worth giving. And it begins with the fear of God, with awe and reverence. Do you see that there in verse 11? Paul begins this thing, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What is driving Paul and his companions and should drive us? It is the fear of the Lord. And you say, well, that doesn't sound very good. Well, I want you to understand the two aspects of this fear of the Lord. Paul has spent the previous verses talking about the fact, and in particular in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There is going to be that kind of legitimate judgment that takes place, and that should bring fear in our hearts. Not a fear that we won't be in heaven. Not a fear that we aren't a part of the kingdom of God, a part of Christ's family. He has secured that for us. But there is a judgment that will take place and we should in some sense have a fear that the righteous judge will judge broken people. But really embedded in this is the sense that Paul is not so much fearful like this, but he's fearful like this. You get the distinction that I'm making? Not fearful in some cowering way that God is just mad at him and wanting to crush him. Because when God sees him, he sees the righteousness of Christ that has been imparted, imputed to him in his life. He sees him as justified. But yet Paul, recognizing how undeserving he is, is and was for the grace of the gospel, for the grace of Christ's death and resurrection, is in awe at how holy and glorious and amazing this God of the universe, the creator and the sustainer of all things is. And yet, even in his grandeur and his glory, that he would condescend to love him and make a way for him to be adopted. Paul's in awe and because he's in awe because he's amazed at this reality he's not in awe that shuts his mouth but he's in awe in a way that says you got to hear this i got i have something to tell you you have to know what i know he's like that woman at the well in john 4 who having met jesus runs back with no fear of being shamed or shunned or scorned, runs back and says, Come, meet a man who told me everything that I'd ever done. I think we've found Messiah. Right? That's the kind of ambassadors that we are. Yes, in awe of God, in fear of His holy glory, but yet amazed by His grace and mercy, and therefore desiring To proclaim it to all who will listen. To persuade others. Not just a passing comment about it. Hey, you know, Jesus, he's really good. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so glad I had a chance to share the gospel today. I think somebody at the next table may have heard me say, in Jesus' name, it was awesome. Right? Not that, but pressing into the lives of those around us to persuade and say, please, Please, I beg of you, please see this truth. See the God who has changed everything for me. The other thing that Paul recognizes and would remind us is that it's it's not about us. It's not about us. Aren't you glad? See that in verse 12 and 13? We are not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Apparently, part of what's going on here in Corinth is that there were some that came along and they said, hey, we look way better than Paul. We sound way better than Paul. His little ragtag bunch, they don't have it together like we have it together. We got the next big program. You need to check this out, right? Paul says, no, it's not about all of those things. It's not about all of those things. What does he want them to? It's interesting that he says, "We want you to be able to boast in us." What does he want them to be able to boast about? The transformation that's taken place. Remember who Paul was, right? Remember what Paul used to do for a living. He he says, "It's not. It's not about us." Not about us. And then he goes on, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. I kind of like that statement, right? I, I, I think maybe I might have my wife put that on my tombstone. And plenty of people will say, yeah, well, rarely was he in his right mind. So, But again, uh, what Paul is getting at here is that what we have to offer is to point people to Jesus. It's not about our smarts. It's not about our programs. It's not about our style. It's not about our swag. It's not about our all those other things. It's about us simply standing bare before a broken world and saying there's hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. It doesn't have to be complicated. Because even at our best, all we can do is point to Jesus. Right, I can get all the degrees in the world. I can get more degrees than a thermometer. And all all that I still have to offer is to point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. We make a mess of life sometimes. And you say, man, my life has been broken. I was this before I came to Jesus. Or I've fallen in this way since I came to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's what you have to offer. It's not you living a perfect life that you have to offer. It's not you having it all together that you have to offer. It's not you having answers to all the questions that you have to offer. It's Jesus that you have to offer. We have pasts that illustrate those failures and weaknesses. Let, let, let me just ask you to be bold for a second. Anybody raise their hand and say, I've got some junk in my past that I really hope nobody else ever finds out. I'm looking at y'all not raising your hands. You know that, right? Okay, yeah, and I'm looking at some of you that are raising your hands really high, and I'm thinking, okay, what's going on there? No, I'm not thinking that at all. What we have to offer the world is what we have from God. That's what matters. That's where hope is. That's it. Let me go on quickly. Gospel hope is our driving force Gospel hope is our driving force. You see how he transitions into verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. How many in here have NIVs? This morning anybody have an NIV? Okay. And NIV says what instead of controls? 14. For the love of Christ compels. Okay. Compels. So this is an interesting word, right? Because it does have that idea of control. It has that idea of maintaining, of holding together. But yet, in the NIV, it, it, it leans towards a slightly different aspect of that. That if we are held by something, there is a propelling force of the belief and the recognition of and the being captured by, right? When we're captured by a truth... There is a compelling nature to that being captured that we want to share it with others. And so Paul recognizes that the love of Christ has so captured, so controls, so compels he and his companions and by extension should control and compel us. Because why? Because this conclusion that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The Gospel, right? This message of who Jesus is, that he's fully God and fully man. This message of what Jesus did, that he came and lived a perfect life and then willingly gave his life to death on a cross, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, as we celebrated just a couple of weeks ago, he rose again in victory over sin and death and the enemy of this world and all things good, that he showed himself to thousands over 40 days and then he ascended into heaven. He took his place at the right hand of the Father he now contends on behalf of all who will believe and one day he's going to come back and make all things new that's a pretty good message right that's a pretty good thing that's an amazing thing and that truth Paul says has so captured his heart that he can't do anything else he's compelled by it by the love expressed in that message that God himself would condescend to save him that he can't help but tell anybody who's willing to listen Brothers and sisters, that ought to capture our hearts too. We ought to be those kinds of ambassadors, compelled, driven by. Our role is because of and for reconciliation. All right, so we live for the one who died and rose for us. If we have died, we are called then to live again. Look at Ephesians 2, make a side note of that and go back and look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. See the beauty of that there. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, gift so give God not of works, so that no one should boast. And then verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see the beauty of what's going on here in this transformation? Okay, so all that we have to offer the world is from God. Gospel hope is our driving force. And then we are ambassadors from and of reconciliation. From and of reconciliation. When we get down into that final paragraph here, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This transformation has taken place. What does he mean by this transformation? We start getting into that in verse 18, 19, and then into 20, right? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled. Now, If you don't like the word reconciled, you can't read this passage because it shows up like 50 million times, okay? Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, just in case that's not clear enough, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So God is making it right with fallen humanity through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ, not counting their trespasses against them, that is mercy, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So embedded in this is hope and love and mercy and grace, this idea of mercy that we don't get what we do deserve, this idea of grace that we get what we don't deserve, this transforming work that is played out by Christ in his death and resurrection and that we then have been made messengers, proclaimers, heralds, ambassadors of this reconciliation. Can you see when you, when you read it like this, that it, <laughs> we ought to be overwhelmed with the fact of how could we not? Right? I think sometimes we ask the wrong question in the church when we think, how am I going to share my faith? How am I going to talk to people about Jesus? When the question really ought to be, how can we not? How can we not? With a message like this, with a truth like this, how in the world are we going to hold this up inside of ourselves? I know how it happens. It happens because we get distracted by the world. It happens because all this junk of the world starts sticking on us and, and cluttering up our lives, and we get to messing up our priorities and thinking this is more important than this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And this. The question should be, how, how, how could we not? Christ the reconciler gives us a message. Therefore, God is making his appeal through us. That's what it looks like to be an ambassador for Christ. Right? For Christ, that God is saying to a broken world, look at these folks. Look and listen to them. They'll show you and tell you what it's about. Think about that. You know what I would prefer in the whole grand scheme of things, and it's why I'm not God, is that when we trust Jesus, we'd just be up in heaven. Wouldn't you like that? Have you ever thought, well, why didn't God just do that? And it'd just be this great sorting thing, right? And then when nothing was left, then we were done. But yet... But yet, in his merciful, glorious, grand economy, he's chosen to leave us. I think he could have had a more efficient delivery mechanism. You agree with that? Because we kind of mess it up sometimes. I'm not very good at it. But yet, that's why he leaves us here. So even in this broken world, we can continue to declare his glories. We are called out, and again, let me just ask you to write some of these in your notes. Romans 5, 10 and 11 in particular. You can look at 1 through 14 if you want. Colossians 1, 13. I can just read that one for you real quickly. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Right? Huh? You guys just heard that, right? Should I read it again? I don't want you to miss it. Okay, okay, I'll read it again. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you get how big that is? To the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins our minds ought to just be blown by what God has done for us we are called to be ambassadors appeal makers you represent Christ's kingdom because you are reconciled through the gospel if you're here as a believer today you are called to proclaim the kingdom of reconciliation and so that means it's about leading a life of influence for the sake of the gospel our life how we live is the full complement to what we say these two things are married together What you say and how you live ought to be bound together, and both should be a vital illustration, drawing living pictures of this truth of reconciliation. Sadly, today, many agree with the old saying attributed to Mahatma Gandhi who said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. May it never be said of us, brothers and sisters. May it never be said of us. We are called to be representatives of the one true living God whose name is Jesus and who died and rose again for us. My final point, and I'll make this quickly. We are always living as ambassadors, even ambassadors in pain. Every believer is a messenger of something. You're an ambassador for a kingdom. You're a messenger of something, good, bad, or indifferent. You are a messenger. We like the idea, I'll be honest with you though, right? And this is the final point that I want to make here is that we like the idea of the ambassador who wears the super nice suit. Isn't that what comes to your mind when you think of the word ambassador, right? You think of a man or woman who's like, man, they are put together. They are put together and maybe they live their life out in this very beautiful paneled office, right? And they're hobnobbing with all the big wigs, right? I'm an ambassador, look at me, you know, right? They just look good, they're just right. But yet, but yet, that's not how ambassadoring always is. Frankly, for most of us, that's never how ambassadoring for Jesus is. We're not in those kinds of circles. It's not about having it all perfect. It's not about everything being just pristine. My question is, should we not be ready in the midst of trials and tribulations, struggles and pain, whether our own or others, to share the hope that has come only through Christ? Consider what Paul says, and we read it earlier. I read it for you, Ephesians 6 In particular, verse 19 and 20. And also pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an, you ready for this, ambassador in chains. Well, no thank you very much, Paul. We appreciate the call to be ambassadors, but we like the dressed up wood panel office version of ambassador. You're saying be an ambassador even in chains, even in jail, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of broken situations, even in the midst of difficulty and hard times, even in the midst of other people around us in difficulty and hard times? Frankly, brothers and sisters, if there's ever been a time when we need to be ambassadors, it is in this deeply broken world that we are in right now. This isn't a time for us to hide back in our enclaves, to hide behind our stained glass. This isn't a time for us to lock the doors and hope nobody comes and finds us. This is a time for us to press out. This is a time for us to be like those Ukrainian Christians who are singing on the street and declaring that Christ is still alive. That there is hope, even when it's hard. When others are struggling, what they need most is the hope of Christ. Often that suffering really opens up their eyes to need. Maybe that's your testimony of how you came to Jesus. Richard Baxter once said, Suffering so unbolts the door of the heart that the word hath easier entrance. It's a beautiful reality that God makes the way in the hard whether it's our heart or someone else's. We can offer lots of things when people are suffering and grieving the realities of a broken world, but we can never forget that all the good things we can give ultimately pale in comparison to giving the thing that we truly have to offer, the best thing that we have to offer, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Don Carson says, suffering and pain can be God's megaphone to an individual or to a nation distracting our attention from the selfishness of life that functionally disowns God no matter what we say in our creeds. We have a message to give, brothers and sisters. I get it, sharing Jesus can be scary no matter the circumstances. Sharing Jesus when someone is hurting or when we're hurting can be even scarier. But it doesn't make it but doesn't it make the most sense that we offer genuine gospel hope when there's genuine hurt? Genuine gospel hope. I've heard many amazing stories of men and women who found their rock bottom. But when they found their rock bottom is when they found the hope of Jesus. That's the testimony that we have. So, the question is, who are we influencing for the gospel? Who are you an ambassador to? Who has God given you the unique opportunity to be an ambassador to, to be a messenger to, to be declaring the truth of Christ, who he is, what he's done? Where has he placed you? What family has he placed you in? What job has he placed you in? What neighborhood has he he placed you in? What spheres of influence has he placed you in? What, What about this church? You've been here for all of these years. What's going on in this community? Where are the bridges for the gospel in this community for you as a family of faith? What does that look like for you to be ambassadors together, for for you you to be a display of the kingdom of God right here in the midst, right in the entry point to J-Town? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? What's going to be your legacy? What's going to be this church's legacy? Are you a reconciler, a persuader, an ambassador for Jesus? This is is the call of the gospel to us, to be these kinds of believers. Now, I recognize that I've spoken to everyone in this room, mostly assuming that you are followers of Jesus, I don't want to assume that ever when I stand in front of a group. So I want to say, if as you hear this, the part that you've latched onto because the Holy Spirit's at work in your heart is not this whole ambassador thing, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying that Jesus was God and that he died and rose again and my life could be made right with God? Are you, is that what you said back there? Is that what this whole little rant thing was about that you gave right here? Is that, is that what you mean? That's exactly what I mean, and if you're here without Jesus today, I want to, like Paul, compel you as an ambassador of the gospel to repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn away from your sin and turn to God, and in faith, believe in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. It's as simple as calling out to him in prayer. I want to encourage you to do that today. And if you do that, I want to encourage you to tell somebody about it so they can help you in your walk with Jesus. If that's you today, I want to compel you to do that today. Believers, if it's that person in the room or that person in your neighborhood or your workplace or your family or wherever God takes you, the question today, will we be ambassadors for the kingdom? What does that look like for you and for you corporately? Maybe there's some things that you need to clean out, repent of, get straight in your heart so that you can be that ambassador for Jesus. Maybe there's some fear that you need to set aside. Maybe you need to seek out and get some tools that might help you. Whatever the case may be, I want you to take the steps to do that today as we get ready to sing. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to sing this closing hymn, and I want you to think about it as being a time just to really reflect, to listen to the Holy Spirit, seek his wisdom, and be obedient to what he calls you to today. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. And God, I ask today, Lord Jesus, please, I ask today that if there is one here, Holy Spirit, if there's a person here who does not know you, maybe they've heard this message a bunch of times, maybe they've been around church, maybe they've grown up in church, but they've never given their life and entrusted themselves fully to your care, to your grace and mercy and love. I would ask you today that you would draw their hearts to you and that they would confess and believe today in Jesus Father, for the believers here in this room, Holy Spirit, I ask that, that you work in our hearts to help us to overcome our fear, our doubts, our trepidations, our confusion about what it is we're supposed to be doing, and, and God, that you would strip that away and let it be the simple fact that we're just we're just eyewitnesses telling people what we've seen and heard of the glorious grace of the gospel. Let us... Let us today make a fresh commitment in our hearts that as believers, we will be ambassadors of the hope of the gospel. It's the only thing, it's the only thing that broken people have to count on. Let us be those who would proclaim in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Why don't you stand with us and sing?